0: I don't know about you, but sometimes through all of the things that are happening each week in the news, kind of get wore out with all of the information, seems like all the negativity, huge question marks that linger over so many things in our lives, and, and it happens in ministry too. There's so many things we just don't know, and oftentimes we want to ask the questions and they're never a bad question to ask, but a lot of things coming around the curve we just can't see around the curve and even recognizing even this week in our community the the question about whether or not everyone's going to need to be wearing a mask or not a mask and what are we going to do about all these things, it creates all this question. And in the midst of questions, we want answers, and God doesn't seem to always provide them in the timeliness that we desire them. And so we begin to question our relationship when that happens. We wonder, is God actually paying attention? Does God hear me? Is something wrong with my relationship and so today, here's what I want to share with you is from the book of John, chapter 11. If you want to follow along, most of the verses will be on the screen for you, but you can get in your Bible as well. It'd be great. We've been talking for the last couple of weeks about all things for his glory, that we are, we are designed, we are created to glorify God. That is why we are on the planet. God made us for his pleasure And God allows things in our lives constantly to shape us and to mold us into the image of Christ, but everything that is happening in our life, God is also using that for His glory. We don't always see it that way, and that's why I wanted to share this story with you today, maybe to just bring some encouragement into your heart about what God might be doing around you to bring and to reveal His glory in every circumstance, This is a famous story of, of course, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And as we were just singing about Christ alone and the firm foundation that we have, we are able to sing that song from a position of faith and confidence because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus resurrected Lazarus from the grave just before he was going to be arrested and crucified and resurrected himself. So Jesus is revealing resurrection power in this particular story. But we need to understand all the pieces and parts and the players that are involved because I bet we can connect with a few of them for sure. In John chapter 11 verse 1 says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he who you love is sick. Now, it's a very apparent from this text, and we know this, that, that Mary and Martha and Lazarus are friends with Jesus. He's been with them before. We know that in the presence of Mary and Martha, remember Mary was at the feet of Jesus. Martha was scurrying around, hurry, serving Jesus. But it's also this Mary who wiped Jesus' feet with her hair, It's not an issue of devotion. There's no question of their friendship and their relationship. There's no reason to speculate anything other than positive about that. It was apparent that Mary and Martha knew where Jesus was. They were able to send a messenger to him specifically. Jesus at this point would have been about a day's journey away from where they are in Bethany. And just to get all your geography straight and the text will teach us. But Bethany is a small village just outside of Jerusalem about two miles. At this point, Jesus is very famous, we're about to the place of the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, and so the name Jesus is a hostile name and that place is a hostile place. And Jesus is going to eventually go back there, we'll see that in this text, but the point of this message is this, or this particular part, is that these ladies knew not only where Jesus was, they were settled in their relationship with Jesus, they had expectations when they sent messenger to him that he would either promptly show up and take care of their brother who's sick and make him well or if he is not capable of being there that he could speak the word just like he has done with others that he didn't even need to travel to see the Lazarus, their brother. He could just speak the word and he would be fine. None of that came to pass because we're going to see Lazarus is going to die. But I think something that happens sometimes in our hearts is because when it seems that the Lord is not responding to our request, we are coming in obedience. The fellowship we have with the Lord is not broken, I, I would trust. out of, If there's brokenness in fellowship because of sin, then we confess that and our, our fellowship is restored. But we come biblically as we should when someone is sick, we come to the Lord and we pray. We are instructed to pray for the sick. We are instructed to come expecting that when you make a request, you knock at the door, someone's going to answer. You ask a question, you get a response. We, we're trained in the scripture. Jesus himself said this. And so it seems like a contradiction. Well, if they send messenger to him and there's an obvious problem and based on relationship, well, why is he not responding? It would be indicative of us if we start figuring out that, you know, maybe something's wrong. Something must be wrong with my relationship with the Lord. And so oftentimes what we might do with that is start assessing character qualities to the Lord that are not true or to our relationship that is not real. Oftentimes we will begin to, well, maybe I just am not doing enough and we'll start trying to do more for Jesus because if I just do more, he'll listen better. But we miss sometimes the bigger issue because in this story and in our lives it's the same that it's not that Jesus is not hearing It's not that Jesus is going to do something with what we are praying. It is that Jesus is doing something on a grander scale than what we can even comprehend in this moment. And sometimes he's going to allow us to walk through a very difficult spot. Sometimes it will be pain. Sometimes it will be suffering. Sometimes it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be big question marks of things we don't understand because he's doing something on a bigger scale than what we can even grab hold of. In verse 4... When Jesus heard that, here's the messenger, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, obviously, Jesus is speaking. This takes it to the grander scale. This sickness of Lazarus is not unto death, but that seems like a contradiction because Lazarus died. And so you can imagine the messenger now telling Jesus what's going on with Lazarus, the messenger now returns back it would appear from scripture based on the four days that Lazarus is in the tomb by time the messenger gets back Lazarus is already dead because it's another day's journey to return he gets back Lazarus is dead and the message from Jesus back to Mary and Martha is this sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God well how do you justify that the dude's dead it's because God's gonna do something here we know that on a much grander scale to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Glory to the Father. verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was, and those two verses together almost seem like a contradiction. Why in the world, if Jesus loved them, would he delay his return and put them through the agony of sickness unto death because Lazarus did die. Why would he allow them to suffer such a thing? Well, because he's doing something on a bigger level for his glory. And there's something that everyone that's in this story needs to learn. And there's something that happens in this story that we need to learn because it's critical to our lives. But don't ever miss this. Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus even though he allowed them to go through suffering and sorrow and even experience death. But he loved them anyway. In verse 7, Then after this, he said to the disciples, "Well, Let's go to Judea again. That would be the area of Jerusalem. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you're going there again? And Jesus answered and said, There are not twelve hours in a day. If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now, that's the, what does that have to do with going to Jerusalem? These things he said after he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. The disciples do not understand. What in the world's happening here? We're going to go back to Jerusalem, the hotbed of, of you being in conflict with... They're wanting to stone you. Why are we going back to there? And then Jesus starts talking about stumbling around in the dark. It's because Jesus is the light of the world. And in that place is darkness. And the light of the world is going to go walk right back into that dark spot. And here's what's interesting Jesus is not afraid. Even though he knows because he is the Son of God and he already knows the plan of the Father, he is going to go there and be arrested and ultimately crucified, yet he's not afraid. But if you notice, he's also not afraid to lead the disciples into a place of conflict. Is the Lord allowing you right now into places of conflict where there's conflict on every side? It may be in family. It may be in your workplace. It's in certainly in all of our communities. Conflict everywhere, all around. And what does he do? He takes us who are light bearers and we walk then as children of light into dark spaces and reveal the power of God. And that's really where this whole thing is going, As God is always on the move to reveal his great glory in the midst of every circumstance. But don't miss the peace that he is leading the disciples into a place that will be very uncomfortable with much conflict and a lot of struggle. Well, let's see how it plays out verse 11 I'll go back to it again these things he said and after he said to them our friend Lazarus sleeps but I go that I may wake him up well then his disciples said Lord if he sleeps he will get well well however Jesus spoke of his death but they thought he was speaking about taking a rest and sleep well then Jesus said to them plainly Lazarus is dead and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there don't ever miss that I've heard somebody say this once that Jesus said that he was glad that Lazarus died he did not say that He said, I'm glad I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Well, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, I find it interesting here. There's a couple of terms that are critical. Jesus is teaching the disciples something new. And it's this idea of sleep that when someone who is a Christ follower dies and their physical body now is put into the tomb, if they're a Christ follower, their body's asleep because there's a day of glorification that is coming where that body will come out of the tomb and receive the glorified body, the eternal body. Even though upon immediate death, soul and spirit are in the presence of the Lord, but there is a day where the body itself will resurrect and it will be glorified. And so Jesus refers to this as sleep, that Lazarus is simply asleep. Now Jesus also knows he's going to resurrect him, so this is like taking a nap for Lazarus' sake. But Lazarus is dead, guys. He died. He took his last breath. He is dead. In the same way that Jesus will die on the cross, take his last breath, he will experience death, full-blown death. But there's something else I don't want you to miss here, and that is in verse 16, somebody is called out by name and it's Thomas. Thomas is the one who we always refer to as Doubting Thomas. His name means the twin, though we never meet his twin in scripture, so I kind of assume that must be me, I must be his twin. But with Thomas, it's interesting, his name would be the one called out because he's the one specifically that struggled with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remember, after Jesus resurrected, the others believed and had seen him. He had not seen him yet, And kind of was like, hey, you know what? I'm not buying this whole resurrection thing of Jesus until I can put my finger in his hands and my fist in his side. Then I'll believe it's true. And then Jesus shows up and says, go right ahead. It's interesting here that Jesus knew Thomas needed to experience resurrection to be able to grasp this again later and affirm this in his faith. Thomas will ultimately go on, guys, to be an incredible disciple of Jesus Christ and was ultimately martyred for his faith. Many believe in the country of India. And there's even a place where you can go and visit. There's a place where Thomas ministered in the country of India. In verse 17, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now when Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother, Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Then Martha Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. If you notice what happens here, when Martha hears word that Jesus is approaching, she runs out to meet him where he is. But the words that she says are words that I think we can all relate to. It's the if-only. Many of us experienced a lot of if-onlys this last several months. Well, if only this wouldn't have happened, then they wouldn't do this and this and this. And we if-only things to no end. And she says, Lord, if, if only you were here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. You know, we want to assess Blame. Oftentimes we want to reason things so everything makes sense. And we start building all those if-only cases. As if somehow we can alter the outcomes. And we're missing the point. That the Lord of glory is walking with us through all these troubles of life. And they come in a lot of packages. Everything from sand from the other side of the world to pandemics to health to struggles, to employment, to economic failure, to conflict of no end. And all of these things happen and the Lord walks right with us through all these things because none of these things are new. There is no new thing under the sun. The world has experienced these things before on different levels and different scales. But at the end of the day, what is God doing? God is taking all of these challenges and struggles, walking with us through them, ultimately to reveal the glory of God in our lives and through our lives. Mary and Martha need to experience here a resurrection, the resurrection of their brother. But I totally get their question. Lord, if only you'd just done something different, we wouldn't be experiencing it this way. Maybe that's you right now in your prayer life. You've prayed over and over and over and over for something to be different than it is. And if only this, then this. Maybe I can encourage you to back up from that just a moment and say, Lord, I don't understand all that is happening, but the one thing I want is for you to receive the glory of God. In me and through me, and in this circumstance, whatever that is, God knows how to accomplish that. He knows what will bring him the glory, and He also knows how to accomplish that through your life. And so we watch what happens now. Martha has this conversation. Verse 23 Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Well, Martha said to him, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection in the last day. The Jews believed in a resurrection. They believed in the last day when the Messiah would come, that there would be a resurrection of those dead. That's prophesied from Daniel chapter 12. Jesus also speaks of it from John chapter 5, speaking of the day when bodies will resurrect from the grave. So they've heard this, they know this from the teachings of old. And so, but that's not the resurrection he's talking about. He's even talking about right now. And Jesus said to her in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. I love that phrase. I am the resurrection. And he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Well, this is an interesting question, a very interesting play with words here. And as Jesus always does, there's like two meanings at least to everything he says. And Jesus, watch back in verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. So that defines Jesus is the resurrection. Jesus is life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. He may die, that is true. Like Lazarus has died, yet he shall live. Well, we may die, every one of us in this room, we may die, yet as a Christ follower, we live. But you know what's interesting? All of us will experience a first death in the death of self. Why? Because the old man must die in order to experience the resurrected life of Christ. That's why Paul would say this statement that I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live in the flesh. Or I live in the faith by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm crucified with Christ. And so, though he may die, he shall live. In verse 26 he said, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. What? So, I believe in the Lord and I'll never die. Well, yeah, you're going to die, but then you're going to resurrect. Jesus is, this seems confusing, but it's not confusing. It's not confusing because here Jesus is always teaching a couple of things at the same time. When we enter into a relationship with Christ, the old man is dead, the new man is resurrected. There are some who will die physically on this planet and take your last breath. And as a Christ follower, your body and your soul and spirit are in the presence of the Lord and your body is in the ground. But there's coming a day where the, your body will resurrect. It's a mystery of Christ revealed that there's coming a day when Christ returns and the bodies of those who are Christ followers will literally come out of the ground or in whatever form that they were put whenever they died. They will resurrect and be glorified. But there are also those who won't experience death. That there will be a day when Jesus Christ returns and people that are alive and remain, according to 1 Thessalonians 4, those that are alive and remain while he returns and comes and meets us in the cloud and then we are joined together with him in the clouds. 1 Thessalonians 4 teaches that. And so he makes this statement, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And this death that he speaks of is, is on the eternal level. That you'll never die because you'll take your last breath of here and just be in the presence of the Lord there. Do you believe this? Well, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. She declares him to be the Son of God, which is a powerful statement here for her. And the reason why is because Romans chapter 1 says that we now see Jesus Christ, He's declared to be the Son of God with power by the Spirit through the resurrection of the dead. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that revealed clearly He is the Son of God. Otherwise, He could be like any other false prophet who has traversed this earth claiming to be the true prophet from God, but none of them have ever resurrected from the grave. They've all been buried. None of them come back to life. None of them ever been seen by another human being on the planet. But they all claim to be true prophets. Jesus Christ, who is the true prophet, who is the Messiah, who is the Son of God, and is declared to be so by the resurrection from the dead. And she declared this before it had ever happened. Her faith is not wavering. That's why this is sometimes a hard story to grasp. Martha's faith is intact. Her relationship with God is intact. It's all right. She understands. She believes. And yet Jesus still allowed her to experience sorrow and death and much trouble. It seemed, well, what's up with that? Why would he ever do that? Because what Jesus said, the glory of the Father. That the Son of God may be glorified and that the glory of the Father. That's what we're after here. Verse 28, And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary her sister, saying, The teacher has come, and he's calling for you. Interesting, Jesus called for Mary to come. I don't know why Mary didn't go with Martha. Maybe she didn't hear the same message. We don't know. But I know this much. In the very personal intimate way that Jesus will handle relationships is not vaunting itself of, I'm here, she wants to come meet me, she can come right here. No, he didn't do that. Jesus, in the tenderness of that, he called for her that he might talk to her face to face. As soon as she heard in verse 29, she rose quickly and came to him, and now Jesus had not yet come into town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out and followed her, saying, Oh, she's going to the tomb to weep. Well, then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I have this hunch that Mary and Martha had conferred together on this. That If only he had been here, this wouldn't have happened. And Jesus, therefore, saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, and he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. You know, there's a lot of speculations for why Jesus wept here if we can just be observing of his humanity, his friends are sorrowing. And Jesus sorrows with us. If you notice in verse 33, it says, Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews weeping that came with her, and he groaned then in the spirit and was troubled. What's the reason for all the weeping and the sorrow? Obviously death. Why death? Because sin had entered the world. Because sin and death and destruction and disease and all the calamities that go with it are the very reason Jesus Christ is going to be crucified. To pay the sin debt for all of mankind on the cross. And Jesus wept over their sorrow. He wept in their trouble he wept over the pain of separation that death brings. He wept in understanding of their hurt. Many, as, many of us have experienced grievous loss, even in the last few months, and almost grievous at another level. <laughs> because some have experienced loss where they couldn't even be with their loved one because of the hospital restrictions or the facility restrictions and even those precious moments of wanting to say goodbye I never had the opportunity. Then it's a grievous loss. Some of us have missed out on opportunities, expectations, celebrations, things that are big in the life of humanity that we look forward to. And those things seem like they just got X'd off out of life. And we often wonder because we cry out, Lord, take this pandemic away. Instead, it's multiplying. Lord, re- revive the economy. Well, I'm not sure about that yet. Lord, I'm sad. Lord, I I weep. Lord, I don't understand. But He understands. It is why it is so critical for us to grasp the scriptures and the truth of God's word that we do not have a high priest that's removed from us so far and distant that doesn't understand the feelings or been touched with the feelings of our troubles or our infirmities but was in all points tempted just like we are yet without sin. Jesus totally gets it. And he understands and he's walking with you through this though you may feel right now alone and you may feel like something must be wrong with my relationship because I'm asking and I I get nothing and God's allowing me to sorrow and struggle and and go through things that I didn't think anybody should have to go through stuff like this and does God not love me well I want you to catch this today God loved Mary Martha and Lazarus and still allowed them to suffer God loved those disciples and he still allowed them to walk into Jerusalem and go into a hotbed of conflict He loved them dearly, but there's something he's doing because God also loves mankind and he wants the glory of God revealed and he's calling all men to himself and he's taking people like Mary and Martha who love him and believe him and trust. You are the son of God. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. I believe you. And the disciples were following him and they've made the same proclamations. And now God is going to work through them to reveal something amazing that only God can do. Unto what purpose? In verse 36, then the Jews said, well, see how he loved him because he wept. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and the stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time, and there is a stench, for he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Jesus is wanting to reveal resurrection power. He wants to reveal the glory of God. But even Martha here, who believes in the Lord, is questioning this concept of rolling away the stone. I get this whole resurrection thing from a spiritual component, but rolling that rock away, ugh, that's going to reek. So even when Jesus had explained to her what was about to happen, she still didn't grasp that, like, you're going to really roll away this rock and... Really? Really? Verse 41, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. This is a powerful statement. Jesus prays and talks to the Father. He prayed out loud so that they would know that He is the Son, for one, but that He has this fellowship and relationship to speak to the Father. This is powerful because Jesus is our advocate, always making intercession on our behalf. In fact, the Scripture says that He lives to make intercession for us, always praying on our behalf. And so as Mary and Martha have made their request unto Jesus, He hears that, and He also makes the request as well. As you pray, Jesus hears that and intercedes on your behalf as well. But what's God doing? Oh, we don't see it. Why doesn't He fix this? Why did He allow that? That's not fair, That's not right, that's not just. I don't get that. And we don't always understand. But this is where when we come back and just land ourselves in the Bible and say, okay, well, I do believe. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you're the Christ. I believe your word, and your word says that, God, you work all things together for good for those who love God, for those who are the called according to your purpose. I don't see how you're going to work it together for good, but I believe that you will. And God, ultimately, I believe that you will accomplish this for your glory. And that is really the prayer request we must have is that, Lord, reveal your your glory, reveal your resurrection power in my life and through my life that Jesus would get the glory. And sometimes that doesn't mean I always get what I want. It doesn't always mean that it all works out beautiful and there's this great romantic story told about it all. No. Sometimes it's just sad. And it was just terrible. And it was tragic. And it shouldn't have been this way, we think. But through that, I trust God, believe God, and walk with God and talk with God, and I don't have to figure it all out, but I can know this, that God gets the glory when I trust him and follow in his word, and I don't come back and start assessing character qualities to God that aren't true. Or I just throw away the faith and say, well, if this is how God behaves, I'm done with God because he's just not treating me right. No? No? God gets the glory when people walk by faith and believe Him because this is what His Word says. And He demonstrates then resurrection power because the gospel then literally lives out our lives every day in the way we talk, in our faith, in our confidence in the Lord and His Word. And the light of God is then revealed. In verse 43, now when He had seen these things, or said these things, He cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. His face was wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. It's an incredible part of the story. It's hard to even wrap our minds around this. But Jesus calls a dead man out of the grave who was bound in grave clothes. He's picturing a man dead in sin and trespasses who's bound in all that we are bound in in this world. And Jesus, through the power of his word, which we are saved by the gospel, which is the word of God, that is the power unto God to salvation. Now listen, Jesus, through the power of his word, was able to have that man be loosed and set free. And Lazarus, who was in the darkness, in the tomb, is now experiencing resurrection. But there's something I find interesting here. In order for Lazarus to experience a resurrection... Lazarus had to die. In order for any of us to experience the resurrected king, the resurrected life, we must die. It's a death to self. I die that he might live in me. I come to the place in my life, I recognize myself to be a sinner separate from God and I need a savior and only Jesus can save me and I believe that to be true. My old man then is crucified, dead, with Christ. This new man is then resurrected with Christ to walk now in the power of God. Why? Because the Spirit of God now dwells in us as a Christ follower. It is why Paul prayed this prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 with a, a whole church group, of the church at Ephesus, who was not really living to their spiritual potential because the world around them was, was kind of gathering them together, or putting so much oppression on them, they, they were starting to falter. And he prayed specific for them, that they would know the hope of the calling they had in God, and that they would know the riches of His glory, and that they would know the resurrection power that is in them. He prayed again later for that church at Ephesus, and he said that, that you all would know this great love of God that passes all understanding. And that God would be able to, in your life, do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ever ask or even think. Well, how's that even made possible? According to the power that works in us. Well, what power is that? The resurrection power. Lazarus had to go into a dark, dark place to experience the resurrection power of God. And maybe today, you might even say, you know, Dwayne, I feel like I'm in a dark place. We get there sometimes in our mind and life, things start happening and we go to a dark spot and we can't see light. We can't see hope. We can't see anything brighter than the, the dark hole we're in. If I can encourage you today, God's wanting to reveal resurrection power in you today. But will you believe him? Will you believe the truth of God's word that you would experience in the resurrection power of God that can raise a man from the dead? And the last thing we see in this text in verse 45 is then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and seen these things Jesus did they believed. You mean God would allow Lazarus to get sick and Mary and Martha to worry over him and pray over him send a messenger he died, Jesus or the, Lazarus dies, Jesus doesn't show up on time, they suffer all this anguish and sorrow. The disciples are fretting because now we're walking back into this hotbed of conflict and Jesus would go through all of those moving parts of struggle with faith that at the end of the day, what's the result? The Lord of glory is revealed but many believed in Him. I don't know how God is using the suffering in your life right now to accomplish things in you, but I know that He is, because I believe the Word of God. But not only is He doing things in your life, He wants to do it through your life. That through you, the glory of God would be revealed that many would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, because it's not that everything gets easy, And all the problems wash away. It's because by faith you walk with God on this journey through all the troubles. You're trusting him step for step for step. Walking in resurrection power. And it reveals then the glory of God. At the end of the day... Everything about our lives as Christ followers. As scripture says, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, where you go, what you say, how you live your life, everything about you is unto the glory of God. And God knows exactly what to do to accomplish the maximum glory for his son in you and through you. And so today, maybe... Maybe the request of your heart is, Lord, is not to fix all the problem. Lord, be glorified in me. Changes our whole prayer request. Because now I'm not looking for just the result of, Lord, fix it, fix it, fix it. Lord, teach me to walk with you by faith and trouble and be glorified in me and be glorified through me. Let's bow our heads and contemplate that for just a moment. The most important decision of faith you will ever make in your entire life is whether you're going to trust Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. We make faith decisions every day of some consequence, but this particular one is the one that determines eternal life. Today, through the scripture, once again we reveal resurrection power. Jesus had the power through his word to see a man raised from the dead but we know that Jesus also raised from the dead. After he paid our sin debt, he rose from the grave alive. My question to you today is, do you believe and trust God with all of your heart that Jesus Christ is the son of God who died for you and raised from the grave? Have you ever called out to him, Jesus, save me. Save me from my sin and I know you can and I know you have the power to do so because you rose from the grave. I trust you. Today I want to follow you. Today I want to give my life to you. I want to know I'm saved. I want to have eternal life and have confidence in you, Lord. If that's the desire of your heart today, you can have a conversation with God right now from right where you're seated and ask the Lord to save you. Based on the fact that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who paid your sin debt for you and rose again. As Christ followers in this room today, I realize we're all facing lots of troubles and struggles of all different shapes and sizes and depths of sorrows that sometimes are incomprehensible. All for the glory of the Lord. And we may not be able to see right now, gosh, I just don't know how God could be glorified in this because this is so tragic and so messy and so difficult. But the Lord, through Scripture, reveals He is able to work all things together for good in your life. For His glory. And today, maybe your request of the Lord may be, Lord, Be glorified in me. Teach me, Lord, to trust in your word, to walk in your way, to not walk by faith by sight, but only by faith. Lord, temper my conversations that I all the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, everything in my life would reveal your glory. Lord, teach me, help me be the light in the dark spaces that many may believe."